Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, and can be found in your pew Bibles in the New Testament, page 112. Please listen to God's word to you. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They, th they themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was abandoned. The word of the Lord. Winston Churchill used to like to tell the story of a British family that had gone out for a picnic one day by a lake. The mom and dad had their five-year-old son with them. And somehow, in the course of that time, they lost track of where he was, and the boy fell into the water. Neither of the parents was able to swim, though. So they began to shout, getting, seeking some help, and a passerby heard them, and at great personal risk to himself, dived into the water, fully clothed, and rescued the boy. As he got back to the shore, and he handed this dripping child to the relieved parents, Certainly, one would have expected that in that moment there would be these deep sighs of gratitude from the mother and father, and certainly they felt that. But in the shock of that moment, the first thing the mother said was, where's Johnny's cap? As apparently, in all of the confusion, the boy had lost his hat 
And while certainly, as she looked back on that moment later, and must have felt great embarrassment that that was the first thing that came out of her mouth, I thought about that response as I began reflecting upon this passage before us today. A moment that also talks about matters of life and death and of how people focused on the wrong thing. During this season of Lent, we are reflecting upon moments in the last hours of Jesus' life when he was literally handed over from one person or group to another. Thus far, we have recalled that day when Judas betrayed his teacher, handing him over to the Jewish leaders who wanted to silence Jesus as these crowds were growing in number. At the end of that scene in the garden, this military group takes Jesus away, and their first stop is to, with Annas, previous high priest. We read about that interrogation last Sunday. Once it drew to a close, we are told that Annas then sent Jesus to Caiaphas, the sitting high priest, but John doesn't give us any record of what happens in that meeting, but instead immediately jumps ahead to how the high priest handed Jesus over to Pilate, the prefect or governor of Judea. That's the place that our narrative begins. For we're told that that group of Jewish leadership came very early to Pilate, maybe as early as 6 a.m. It's hard for me to imagine that would have been a typical first appointment for a government official, and yet these individuals are so eager to do away with Jesus, they won't wait. John tells us that they won't enter into Pilate's headquarters, also called the Praetorium. And Jewish law was clear that if someone was spiritually unclean, they couldn't share in the Passover meal that was going to happen later that day, and instead would have to wait a month to do so. We don't understand exactly what the problem was here, but these Jewish leaders will not go inside with Jesus into Pilate's headquarters, and so the governor has to come out to them. What charge do you bring against this man, he asks. And they respond really in a shocking kind of way as they say, if he wasn't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Pilate says, well, we'll go ahead and judge him based on your laws, and they say, our law forbids us from putting him to death. Now, that's a curious statement that they made, both as it presupposes the sentence, even before the trial itself happens, but also because elsewhere in the Gospels, we read of times when the Jewish leaders have put someone to death by stoning. And yet Pilate accepts their word. He goes back in to where Jesus has been taken and says, are you king of the Jews? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He goes on to explain more of what would have happened if, in fact, he was king of that realm. And Pilate says, so you are king then. And Jesus replies, you say that I am the king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world that I might bear witness to the truth. Anyone who belongs to me follows that truth. Pilate has no idea of what Jesus is talking about. 
And yet he has gained enough to realize that this man is not a threat to Rome. And so he goes back outside to the crowd. Jesus is still inside. And he says to the leaders, I find no crime against him. But he lifts up a, a, a goodwill gesture that apparently would happen during Passover, namely that the official would allow the release of one prisoner, whoever the Jews chose. And so he gives them the option of either Jesus being released or Barabbas, one that we are told is abandoned. And the voices that are outside the headquarters demand that it be Barabbas. Next week, we will focus on the moment when Jesus is handed over again, this time from Pilate to the soldiers who will take him away to his death. But we stop with this moment, with this description of events that occurred over a number of hours when individuals consistently and repeatedly focused on the wrong things. As the Jewish leadership was more concerned that they'd have to wait for a meal than to really make themselves unpure by ensuring that an innocent man dies. Pilate was more concerned that he not have to take responsibility for what was going to happen than to release one that he knew to be innocent. The crowd was more willing to have a known criminal set free into their midst than to let Jesus live to see another day. From start to finish, what that narrative depicts for us then is times when people choose to focus on the wrong thing, letting the larger issues glide by. It's a reality that we know as well. Our culture has this expression of times when people will major in minors. And what's meant by those words are these times when individuals disregard what's really important and they focus on things of less significance. And it doesn't just happen in matters of life and death. Instead, when a, a child decides to surprise her parents by cleaning up the family room without being asked and inadvertently knocks over a prized heirloom, the parents in that moment could choose to respond with anger instead of gratitude for her wanting to help. A young adult moving to a new community can be so desperate to find others to spend time with that he can engage in behavior that's not consistent with his core values instead of choosing to go to those places where it's more likely to find others of like mind. An employee can be so upset that her perspective does not win the day in the office that instead of giving the idea a chance, she can begin to grumble in a way that affects the whole work environment for others in all kinds of moments. It's possible for you and me to focus on things that aren't all that important and to let the more critical matters slide. Jesus was in the midst of that kind of circumstance. And somehow, he was able to remain strong. As he said to Pilate, for this I was born and this I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. Anyone who listens to me, will follow that truth. 
And those were words that not only came to that Roman governor of long ago, but they are words for you and me, for individuals who have chosen to take on that name of Christian for ourselves too. For the reality is that you and I have committed our lives to this truth, to this one embodied in Jesus of Nazareth. And despite our best efforts, there are times when all of us stumble, not only in recognizing what his truth would be, but then acting upon it. One of the clearest succession of mistakes that I made occurred in a previous pastorate. And these mistakes all happen in very rapid succession, and they revolved around the matter of a wedding policy. In the Presbyterian Church, we understand weddings to be a time of worship. That while certainly we have gathered to celebrate the love that has brought these two people to the point of making this commitment to one another, that our first attention is to praise God for having brought it about. After a couple of weddings in this congregation where that intention clearly had been ignored or completely forgotten, including one wedding where I, I really was worried for people's safety because the mother of the bride had insisted we block one of the exits to the sanctuary so that more people could be seated. After seeing that happen in rapid succession, I decided on my own that the congregation needed to have a wedding policy. And so I set out to develop one. I consulted other Presbyterian churches and then I presented it to the session at a planning retreat. What I didn't know at the time was that there was no other congregation in that community that had a wedding policy. That was a significant oversight on my part. The other mistake that I made was trying to develop a policy on my own without bringing others into the conversation along the way. I wasn't looking for the session to approve the policy on that day, but they made some minor changes and agreed that we would bring it up at the next meeting. It was later that afternoon that I got a phone call from the daughter of someone on the session. She and her fiance already had their wedding date at the church and she had heard about this new policy. And so she had some questions for me, and she started out with some minor kinds of things. The policy that I had presented included things about meeting with the pastor ahead of time, about choices of music, about seating capacity, and all kinds of other matters. And so she first talked about some things that really were, I, I could tell, were inconsequential, and then got to what really was at the heart of the call, namely two particular pieces of music that she wanted to make sure could be part of the ceremony. As gently as I could, I, I, I told her that it didn't seem like they really fit what this policy was out to do, and so maybe they would be better suited for the reception. And she hung up, and I thought that that was the end of it, which was my third mistake. <laughs> as the phones then began buzzing, and I wasn't included in any of those, and, and then at the next session meeting, the officers wisely decided this new policy wouldn't apply to any weddings currently on the books, but only future ones. I had invited the bride-to-be to come to the, to the session meeting to talk about the experience with the officers, and when she and her mother sat down in the room, I explained to them what the session had just decided, namely this policy wouldn't affect their wedding. 
but she clearly had already prepared what she wanted to say. And so began this long conversation with those officers about how spiritual she knew the wedding experience would be for her, and she didn't understand why her pastor was giving her such a hard time. And that conversation went on for about an hour and a half. Uh, and then soon thereafter, the wedding weekend arrived. Well, I began the rehearsal the way I always do, namely with prayer, and that would then lining up everyone where they would be when the music stopped the next day after the processional. And we were all standing up in the chancel area, and I noticed that the bride-to-be was seated on the front row, and that her mother was standing up next to the groom. And I asked what was going on, and she said, it's bad luck to practice your vows before the wedding. And I said to her, we don't believe in bad luck. And the reason we're having this rehearsal is so that we can walk through all of those pieces ahead of time. I need for you to come up here. I won't make you offer the vows right now, but I need for you to be familiar with the space. And I don't consider that response a mistake, but she glared at me and then came up and before the rehearsal resumed, she said, if anything goes wrong tomorrow, it's your fault. So, 15 minutes before the wedding, the next day, she comes up to me and says that she's decided that after I've announced that they're husband and wife, but before they begin the recessional, she wants to go down from the chancel and present a rose to her mother who would be seated on the front row. First, she had told me of that. I said that was certainly fine. I presumed she had also mentioned that to our trumpet player. And that was my fourth mistake. <laughs> For once I announced that they were husband and wife and she turned and started to move, of course the trumpeter thought the recessional was started and so this voluntary begins. And then when he sees what's happening, it stops. And she comes back up. They turn and then leave. The music starts again. And when I went to the reception on that hot June afternoon and went up to congratulate the couple, there was a noticeable chill in the room. And I'm sure it's no surprise to you to learn how deeply relieved I was before coming here to know that Doylestown already had a great wedding policy. <laughs> For all of us, there are times when we focus on things of less significance, on policies instead of people, on superstitions instead of faith, upon what we want to do instead of what, considering what God would have us do. It is part of the human condition and it is something that we will never completely eradicate. And yet, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to commit ourselves to discerning and then following the truth. Not our understanding of the truth, but the one embodied in him, that true king who stood before Pilate long ago. We will never do that perfectly, but that is part of our charge as individuals who have chosen to commit our lives to him. And so on this day, 
we pause and hear Jesus say, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Words that invite us to choose, instead of majoring in minors, to major in that truth. And to reorient ourselves in our choices, in our actions, in our thoughts, to as much as we can to reflect that truth, even when others around us continue to major in something else. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the incredible witness of your son as he stood before authorities of long ago and for the way that he continued to understand both his call and what he seeks from those who will follow him. We confess that which you already know, namely our imperfect efforts in doing that and ask that you will help us grow in reflecting his truth in all of our words and all of our deeds. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.